what happened was when I moved to Southern California, a realtor who I'd become good friends with said, you know, I wish there was a, a study guide that would put all the pieces of the story that we know from childhood, some of us, into an order that made sense. And I thought, oh, I can, sure, there's bound to be a lot of those. And I found out there weren't. And um, so we went through the Bible, obviously, um, in more detail than I had intended. But uh, it was when I condensed it to 30 minutes that I, like you all, found the aha of the Bible. Um, it was so impactful to me to find out that the stories were cohesive. There was one overarching story that uh, despite over 40 authors in 1400 years, the themes were the same. They built on one another that Jesus uh, came out of, a, of an unfolding story from God's promise in the garden. And suddenly life became and continues to be different for me. It's um, Craig and others have always said we should find our place in the story of the world. And I never understood that until now. Welcome to the podcast of the Kirby Lang Centre for Public Theology in Cambridge. Public theology is about how the very good news of Jesus relates to all of life. Our podcast is titled Christianity for the Everyday, dispatches from and for our daily lives. We like to quote Gerard Manley Hopkins's statement that Christ plays in 10,000 places. In our podcast, we aim to find those myriad ways in which Christ plays in our lives so that we can play alongside him. Join our team and invited guests as we explore Christianity and the everyday, from the most mundane aspects of our lives with their hidden glory to geopolitical issues that impact upon them. Christianity for the Everyday is a podcast of the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology in Cambridge. And you can learn more about our work and the, the vast resources we have by visiting our site, kirbylangcenter.co.uk. And you could also join the conversation by joining our Facebook group. And then um, we're excited to partner with IVP today, giving away two copies of the book, The 30-Minute Bible, God's Story for Everyone by co-written with Paige Vinosky, whom we have on the call today. So excited for that. So the way to join that is go and subscribe to our email list or go and join our Facebook group. So yeah, um, like I mentioned, we're connected with Paige Vinosky today. It's myself and I got brother Bruce, Bruce Ashford. So apparently we have two co-authors of um, Craig Bartholomew. So that's exciting. What, Bruce, tell us about the book you got with Craig. Yeah, so Craig and I, for about a decade, worked on a book uh, on and off uh, that was published as The Doctrine of Creation uh, with IVP. And uh, we, we uh, and, you know, creation is the stage upon which all of uh, redemptive history plays out. It's an over, often overlooked doctrine, and it, it sets the stage for the rest of the Bible's story as uh, Pet Page and Craig wrote um, in their book. So there's a little synopsis of the book. It's a, it's a cinder block of a book. It's about 500 pages, so I don't recommend that you read it in bed at night for fear that you might uh, doze off and crush yourself uh, mid-sentence. Um, and that's a reasonable fear, I assure you, yeah. uh, given that it's 500 pages. It's a good, it's a good book. Uh, it won my personal book of the year. Well, I think it was, was it last year or the year before? But yeah. Good one. Um, all right, before I jump in, Bruce, what's the most summer thing that you've done so far? Um, I acquired a puppy uh, mm. three days ago. So I've got a puppy that my kids and I can play with here in the yard. And uh, she's a real sweetheart. She's a Yorkie. I've always had big dogs before, Shepherd, Chow, Boxer. Uh, but now I have a Yorkie, and that's kind of the opposite of a big What's dog. her name? 
Well, I named her Margaret Thatcher because uh, she seems to be a world figure of world historical importance, but the kids have decided to nickname her Twinkie, and that's the only <laughs> thing we call her is Twinkie. <laughs> they have the final word. Uh, Paige, what is the most summer thing that you've done so far? Well, we just returned from the San Juan Islands. I felt like that was very summertime. Okay. Although it looked like spring up there with all the beautiful flowers, just amazing blooming on the side of the road. It's great. And so you're pretty summer though, because you're in Southern California. Yeah, we are spread across the globe. So yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for talking about the 30 minute Bible God's story for everyone. Um, can you just give us a quick overview of you and um, and even just an overview of what this Bible's, of what this book's about? I know a lot of people are like, what are we talking about when we're talking about the 30 minute portion? That's the part, that's the part that everyone's like, what? Well, the 30 minute portion is that in 30 minutes for 30 days, um, you too can learn the story of the Bible, which I often say is, is the Bible, uh, because um, what the book does is it condenses the entire Bible into two or 300 pages, a little shorter than Bruce's book. <laughs> But uh, it uh, allows, it is it intended to allow for uh, readers to understand that the Bible is one story, that it's the story of the world from the beginning of time to the end, and that it follows uh, one branch of a family tree, and that all of the Bible relates to that story. Yeah, that's, re that's uh, really helpful. You know, the first, uh, you know, I made it through seminary through my Master of Divinity, and um, was never introduced to the narrative coherence of the Bible. I was introduced to the systematic coherence of the Bible, which I appreciated, but still, you know, a, a systematic theology course, um, you leave it and you've just drunk from a fire hose and you're not sure how to remember it because the categories are a bit, they're complicated. And uh, it's when I was a missionary in Central Asia and was teaching the Bible to people who had never been exposed to it before, that I felt the need to show the narrative coherence of the Bible and began to do that. And uh, the people that I was teaching scripture to came alive. And so then when I came back uh, during my PhD, I, I really had a focus in, in my personal study on the narr narrative coherence of scripture. And so I love what you've done. Absolutely love it. I was never introduced to the narrative coherence of scripture, even though I was in churches and in a family that stressed the importance of scripture. And so I'm just curious, what uh, got you interested in uh, the Bible's storyline and and in publishing this book? I had uh, been teaching a chronological study of the Bible uh, for many years. I told the group it would be a one-year overview, and 12 years later, we finished. <laughs> but yeah, so then uh, near the end, I was asked to join a book club, but it's a book report book club. So I needed to report on a book. I was still working on the Bible full time. And so someone suggested that I provide a report on the Bible in 30 minutes. So that's what I did a little reluctantly. And um, the group enjoyed it, asked for copies, but uh, I have never been one to release anything without a scholar. And so I ran across Craig after a lot of work and um, Craig was interested in co-authoring the book. Mm -hmm. So Paige, what do you, so you, so it sounds like this book was birthed out of like sort of a reading group and maybe even like a, a church or a parachurch setting. How did you see most people or other people approach the reading of the Bible? If, if you read it as, like you said, a story for everyone, what were, what are the common, like Bruce just said that he didn't grow up reading it that way. And I surely didn't. I just saw it as a bunch of one-liners that I could like, you know, tattoo on my wrist in Greek. How, how did you see, how did you, and how did other people see it before you saw it as a story? I saw it uh, probably like you all did, which was just a group of stories. Um, I didn't see the connection. And I grew up reading the Bible and um, always reading the Bible, always studying it. And um, what happened was when I moved to Southern California, our realtor 
who I'd become good friends with said, you know, I wish there was a, a study guide that would put all the pieces of the story that we know from childhood, some of us, into an order that made sense. And I thought, oh, I can, sure, there's bound to be a lot of those. And I found out there weren't. And um, so we went through the Bible, obviously, um, in more detail than I had intended, but uh, it was when I condensed it to 30 minutes that I, like you all, found the aha of the Bible. Um, it was so impactful to me to find out that the stories were cohesive. There was one overarching story that uh, despite over 40 authors in 1400 years, the themes were the same. They built on one another that Jesus uh, came out of, a, of an unfolding story from God's promise in the garden. And suddenly life became and continues to be different for me. It's um, Craig and others have always said we should find our place in the story of the world. And I never understood that until now. Mm. And uh, we should find our place in the story. But I think really for people who are um, not believers in the Bible, for me, at least, the truth of the Bible becomes more clear when you realize how related all the stories are. Yeah, you, know, it's, you, you mentioned that you had done a chronological study of the Bible. And um, so when I was a missionary, I found a book called Firm Foundations by a man, man named Trevor McElwain. I think he had never gone to seminary. I think he'd done a bachelor's degree at Columbia. And he had started teaching the Bible to tribal people in Africa and had put together a workbook for tribal people. And so I learned the Bible's, some of the Bible's narrative coherence from a guy with a bachelor's degree who had, uh, was put together a workbook with crude, you know, illustrations, simple illustrations for tribal people. Now that the way he put it together, he focused on the atonement and the theme of atonement all through scripture. And he missed out almost entirely on the significance of creation. Um, God's people was pretty much left out of the story. So there were problems with it, but that was the start for me. And then I found N.T. Wright's work and then Craig's work and began to fill that out. So um, I don't know. I was thinking maybe we could make a little bit of a run through the Bible quickly. Uh, maybe a, you know, a five to 10 minute run. Could you tell us a little bit of the significance of the doctrine of creation in the biblical storyline? Just, uh, just creation. Oh my goodness. And that if you could do it um, in Aramaic, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> that just... question coming from a fellow who wrote 500 pages. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's why you're the person. That's why you're the person to speak to this. If I start talking, I will blather <laughs> for hours. So we need you to come through on this so that I don't have to step in and mess it up. <laughs> well, you can correct me where I'm wrong. But to me, the doctrine of creation is terribly important because uh, it establishes who God is as creator of all that is. And uh, equally importantly, it establishes humanity as his ambassador, as his worker bee uh, in the world and working not in a way we consider work, but yeah. working in a joyful way to ensure that all that he created that was so good stays good. Yeah. And so, um, so that we realize that he told us to care importantly for ourselves, for others, and for the world. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if we don't do those things yeah. through a strong relationship with God, then the world kind of ends up where we see it now. Yeah. Speaking of which, so things started out really well in the biblical storyline. You've got a good God who uh, gave us a good creation, ordered it in a good way, and uh, set the path for us to flourish. So what went wrong? Oh, well, there, there would be self-will. <laughs> um it was interesting to realize to me uh, the importance of 
eating the fruit from the tree, that it really does represent uh, humanity's desire to be their own God mm-hmm. and to turn their back on God mm-hmm. and God's will for us. Mm-hmm. What do you, when you like think of the Bible as a whole, um, is it mainly about getting saved and going to heaven or is it are, uh, like you had mentioned some themes under there? It, I mean, surely that's a, there's an aspect of that being a theme of, you know, um, being eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. But what, what sort of stands out to you, as you would say, is the main theme or themes of the Bible? Well, could we tie that into the storyline mm-hmm. and keep tracking real quick? Oh, yeah. So the fall happened. And this ties into what Jason is saying. Adam and Eve ruin it. They ruin, they ruin the relationship with God. What's the response? What do you, how did God respond? So God's response is to um, punish them, as any loving parent would. Yeah. Uh, but as a part of that, to say, um, but I have a plan. Mm-hmm. And the plan I have will eventually restore the good relationship and solid relationship I'd intended to have with humanity. Mm-hmm. Now, how, do, how does Israel, you know, Israel was confusing to me growing up. I knew yeah. that Israel was important, very right. important. I right. knew that God gave them laws. Some of them applied to us, some of them didn't. And intuitively, I kind of knew which ones did or which ones didn't usually, but not wasn't sure why. And they did some good things. They did a lot of some bad things. We should <laughs> Things like they do good things. We shouldn't do the bad things that Israel did. What role does Israel play in this story? Are they all that important? Such an important role. Um, God said as a part of that plan that in the garden, uh, part of the punishment that he would reverse um, what humanity had done. And uh, it turns out he selected Abraham and his line who became the Israelites, the Jews, and uh, said, through you and your descendants, I am going, is going to come a person that will restore that good and perfect relationship. Mm-hmm. And I love that through the Israelites, we see ourselves. And as importantly as we see ourselves, we see God's response to us and how he puts us back on the right path and time and again gives us another chance. Yeah. Amen. So, so God calls Israel, right? And uh, they're a mirror of us, right? They sometimes they conform to God's law. Sometimes they don't, as you mentioned. Um, God gives them the law to help them flourish. He gives them a tabernacle so his presence will be to them. He gives them sacrifices, you know, once a year, day of atonement. He'll have mercy on them. Why do we need Jesus? That's the next move in the story. I mean, what, what does he do? that the tabernacle over the day of atonement didn't do. What's so special about Jesus? I love that uh, the symbolism in the Bible and um, the symbolism of the Israelites understanding that as we do today, if we do something wrong, we say, oh my gosh, how could I possibly get back in your good graces? I realize how terrible I've been. And the Israelites knew that and they knew they needed to make amends to their pagan gods and Jesus God used that imagery with Jesus saying I am going to come and be that sacrifice for you the final sacrifice um, so that believing in me will forever um, allow you to be in relationship with me yeah, so Jesus, his death uh, paved the way for us to be reconciled fully in a way that the tabernacle didn't, the atonement didn't. And then in the book, you talk about there's two more kind of big moves left. And one of the next big moves is the New Testament people of God. The Old Testament people of God was Israel. Who's the New Testament people of God? And, you know, what does the crucifixion or resurrection have to do with them? The, uh, it has to do with the rest of the Jesus story. 
and its relationship to Genesis. And so uh, when Jesus was crucified as the final sacrifice and rose again, then he rose to overcome the evil in this world represented by the fruit that Adam and Eve ate in the garden. And as God promised would one day happen, that a descendant of of, uh, humanity would one day overcome evil. And the New Testament people are those who believe in that and who have uh, begun to follow Jesus and realizing that he is the representation of God on earth and that he does show us how to have the life we all want and are looking for a way to achieve. So, you know, in systematic theology there, we, we, when we break down and teach the doctrine of salvation, there's, you know, depending on how you break it down, six or eight different ways of understanding his atonement. And you've mentioned the two that I think are the most important, the central ones. One is um, penal substitution. And that, that, that is that, uh, the Lord Christ shed his blood on our behalf to set us free from sin. And the other is what's called Christus Victor, when she mentioned his um, his display of power over, over evil. But Paige, it really seems odd to me there's so much evil left. And I mean, is that how the story's going to end? Jesus defeated evil in name only, but not in reality? Or I mean, what's the end of the story? The end of the story is again, prophesized all the way through the uh, beginning of the story. And that is that Jesus would come the second time and he would um, overcome evil for good. And that the way God had intended creation to be without evil would once again happen. Uh, There would be no more evil in the world. And that, that theme uh, was surprising to me years ago when I first understood the narrative coherence of the Bible that I knew, you know, one day we would go to heaven. And now it turns out that that's not necessarily true. Uh, <laughs> heaven is not our home. Uh, that I had had been lied to, but I had been misled unintentionally that yeah. our home is actually a new heavens and earth. And that makes a lot more sense to me instead of, you know, this picture of us floating in some sort of ethereal never never land like Peter Pan or Tinkerbell. You know, with, with souls, but not bodies, you know, I don't know. I, I wanted to, I mean, that's better than like burning, <laughs> you know, but uh, forever. But, I, you know, it just wasn't appealing to me then. And now I know why. That's not our end state. Of course, mm-hmm. it's not appealing. It's, it's, a, it's not a fully human existence because a fully human existence is what God created us for, living on a new heavens and new earth with our bodies, you know. And so to pick up on Jason's, question which was great for me that was a theme that i hadn't that's one of the many things i had not seen in the bible till i understood his narrative coherence but that ended up making a lot of sense of things i want to toss it jason's question back to you which is what are one or two themes that really stand out for you in scripture or maybe even that surprised you uh you know i always uh love that god looks at the heart um, I think we, um, we give ourselves trouble and others trouble, by the way, um, for not being perfect. And, um, and I think we under- have to understand we're not perfect. It's the intention of the heart. And, um, you know, it's a growing, learning part of life. And... Uh, I love the theme that God de- just is so determined from the beginning of time to ensure that his promise from the garden was going to happen, that he uh, would once again be restored fully uh, and we would be restored fully in relationship with him. And despite everything we've done to uh, put blockades in the way, he just keeps on keeping on. Yep. And, uh, and so we have seen everything uh, that he predicted would happen come true. I love Almost. that. Almost. I, oh, I love that. You're right. He like we keep keeping on. He he keeps. I just think of Abraham. He like keeps lying about his wife, but God's plan will not be thwarted, even though Abraham, you know, is this, 
is a sack of turds like me. Like I probably I'm doing the same stuff all the time. And so it's just so good to know that it de- it depends on him and not us. I am curious, like, I mean, that was such a good, that little volley between you right now was glorious. Um, how do I enter, enter that story? It, it's like what you guys just said is like, I watched a cool movie about whatever subject. It might be about um, people in the 1920s who really like to play baseball. And I'm like, that's a great story. But what, like, how can I enter that story? It's, it's years ago. It's a, it's a different sport, if you will. What, what does that have to do with me today as a, as a dad and, and as a worker and a, a guy who drives in a car and who has to eat? Uh, you know, that's so interesting because that's the way I always felt as well. Mm. And until I learned the story and learning the story, I realized I am sitting in the middle of the story and that um, I'm the one that got, uh, you know, the baton was passed to me and I have to do something with it. And I can either bury it or I can accept who gave me the baton and I can care for others in the world and myself. Um, I can accept who Jesus is and uh, God is my creator. And so we find ourselves in the middle of that story as our book says in, in Act 5 of 6, that uh, I think that's what's so fascinating is we are a part of the story, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to I toss a question to Jason, put him on the hot seat. You know, he, okay. he always gets to do the interviews, so it's only fair. So, Jason, when you started, I'm just curious, because Paige and I answered this, um, like when you began to understand the narrative coherence of the Bible, what surprised you or what did you learn that you didn't know or how did it help you? Just- yeah, I, I it, it like you guys, it was that, um, as is often said, it was that robust doctrine of creation, which is just another way of saying, whoa, like we weren't just created to be like a soul in heaven playing the harp. I was totally kind of depressed about that that seems so like oh but then i realized oh my goodness it's i always wanted to be spiritual right i have this sense i want to be pious and so i thought piety was only praying or reading the bible and then after you know i read genesis and then read from folks like you guys i realized whoa like the very first pious things that the first parents were to do was to like cultivate the earth make some orange juice dig down and extract some gold and make a ring, explore, expand it, do this in relation with God, which by the way is hard right now because he's invisible. Um, <laughs> so I, I do look forward to that new heaven, new earth. But for me, it was that, that act one, that creation act of, wow, it is spiritual. It is sacred to, to have kids. I, who who would have known? I thought they weren't very spiritual. <laughs> so I thanks for asking me. No one's ever asked me. <laughs> but yeah, that part has always been compelling to me. And I'm I'll throw one back to you, Ashford. When you when you you asked you asked Paige specifically about the the sort of that already not yet thing. That's yeah. a hard hard spot, especially because God is invisible. Well, I'm curious. Uh, well, I ask you, Bruce, and then to you, Paige, like. What part, how do you have motivation? Like when you're like, oh man, this world isn't, this world's a mess. And I'm, I'm a total part of that mess. Like how, how do you actually glean hope from the distant future? It's like, oh, I guess when I die, all will be well. You know, the really, uh, the promises of scripture, the ones that are, one that's true for all people everywhere at all times, it, it really boils down very simple. And that is that Christ will return one day to set the world to rights. And that in the meantime, that God is present with us. Everything else um, of his promises are contingent promises or they're, they're promises that we might see tan- intangibly, but not tangibly. And I, I think one of the, really one of the best books of the Bible is Job because it's the most graphic example that you have a righteous man, blameless, not in the sense of sinless, but blameless in the sense that 
who was a man after God's own heart. And he went through a torturously difficult time. He experienced evil in the form of natural disaster, in the form of personal attack, in the form of the death of his children, the loss of his wealth. I mean, it was a, it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. And as he wrestled with God, and we ought to wrestle with God. I mean, the psalmist wrestles God to the mat. Mm. The Psalms, that's why I love the Psalms. God wants our honesty about this, the tension of living in the already and not yet. Mm. Um, and, and when Job wrestles with God in the end, God doesn't really give Job answers to his specific questions. <laughs> and he usually doesn't give us answers or often doesn't. You know, well, Job, this is why. Because when we ask God, you know, God, why evil? It's almost as if God was is like, ah, ah, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> no, and really, because I mean, if he's God, how could we possibly understand his mind? If we could, he's not a God worthy of worship. And so God wasn't condescending to Job like that, but he was mildly condescending else. He, he answered Job by asking Job a lot of questions. Well, Job, where were you when I created the world? And the answer is, oh, I didn't create the world. Yeah. And that's the real answer. Uh, you know, um, and so, uh, you know, this, this, the already and the not yet, the, the, the most difficult tension, it seems, from reading scripture and, and from my personal experience is, is times of, of pain, mm-hmm. suffering, darkness, mm-hmm. uh, where the only real hope we have is that one day Christ will return. Everything else is contingent. I may not, I mean, most stories don't end up like Job's. I mean, you know, you may not get back all your wealth. You, you know, you may not get back a given relationship. You, you, you may never be healthy again. We stick the rest of your life, but Christ will return. That's good. So that's, uh, you see, I talk too much. I'm already tired of hearing me talk. So I want Paige to talk. Maranatha, Maranatha, brother. <laughs> that's why you can write a 500 page book and wear it 200 <laughs> on the whole bible it's your turn page my the turn already, I'm on the the already in the not yet living in, beti- in between the first and second coming of christ any thoughts you have on that just from from the book or from life from you know from uh our women that uh, studied this together, um, you know, we studied all the Israelites' issues in the midst of um, the unfolding crisis that we've seen in the world. And uh, we've talked about that a lot in terms of, gosh, you know, through the Old Testament, God allowed things to happen to get people's attention. Now, I don't know whether that's going on or not, but what we do know is God was always working, and that was clear. And uh, the fact that the Bible um, does show the history of the world, and it does show his unfolding plan, um, very concretely gives me hope that he is coming again. And it's not just a concept, but there's something behind that concept. And um I think there's two things in addition to that. And um, one is that we always try to put the possibilities of God into a box of our own understanding. And we fail every time. And uh, the Israelites failed, the Jews failed to see how Jesus would come. And uh, because they couldn't understand it from the way, you know, the stories had been told. Um, And I think in the same way, we don't quite understand how that's really going to happen. How is all this crazy stuff, we can call it what it is in the Bible, actually, how is it true? But it's true. And um, as I was thinking about that today before uh, we came on for this interview, I was thinking about the telescope and what we've seen in the skies Uh, just in the last few days through the telescope. And what you see when you look at the beautiful stars at night are beautiful stars. And you, you know, you glorify God for the beauty of his creation. But then when you get a little deeper and look a little further, you see something you can't even imagine is really there. And I think that's kind of a picture of 
of the future. It's not um, something we can really imagine. So I think that's what gives me hope is that uh, concretely we know that there is more uh, than we can see ahead. So Paige, I'm, I'm, gonna, I, I'm really curious about this. I'm wondering how, I don't know what your vocation is. I don't know if you're, uh, I don't know what you, what you do, but I'm wondering how uh, your vocation has been, your, your view of your vocation or your, your living out of your vocation uh, is informed by the fact that you have dug in, taken a deep dive into scripture and see yourself as living in the middle of that story. Well, um, I don't really have a paid vocation. <laughs> uh, I grew up in the real estate business and uh, different aspects of it, not the aspect of sales that you would imagine. Um, and I had a boss in, uh, when I worked for a bank before that, that always said, uh, that sent me away from the bank with the quote from the Bible that says, whatever you do, do it. For the Lord. Mm. And I thought I am, you know, maintaining a parking lot or I am ensuring the property value is its highest. How is that for the mm. Lord? Mm. And of course, the answer for that is it's how you treat other people. Mm. And it's the conversations that you pray about having and that you have. And uh, it's the people you meet and it's what you do when you have free time because you don't have to work all day or two jobs. And I think that is, um, is how you live out your Christian life. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> um, I, uh, early on, uh, Luther was my hero and I still like Martin. He's a good guy. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think like for a fuller understanding of the Bible, theologically, uh, I signed on to learn from Abraham Kuyper and, uh, N.T. Wright and some others, but um, Luther talked about every Christian being called to a family, a church, a workplace, and a community, these callings. But, I, you know, I had a hard time figuring out, I, I figured out, I, th I thought I knew what the church, my vocation was in the church, you know, go to church and then leave the church and like, and witness people. And that was it. But I didn't really understood it. What does that have to do with me being a citizen of a community? What does that have to do with my workplace? Mm -hmm. uh my family life i mean i know it's supposed to be nice to my family and then be nice back to me <laughs> no but um you know the bible storyline really as i see it gives us three questions to ask in relation to our callings one question aligns with doctrine of creation and that is what what would god's design be for this activity that i'm in this sphere of culture this calling um then the second question aligns with the fall and that is how is this particular calling, how, how has it been and how is it twisted by sin and idolatry? And then the third question aligns with redemption. And, and that is, you know, how if I am full of the spirit of God and am focused, you know, uh, am fueled by the gospel and uh, am conforming to the Bible's way of life that, it, that God sets forth for, for me, how can I redirect what's been misdirected by sin? How can I bring healing to what's been corrupted by sin? And that kind of, for me, painted, <clears throat> I don't know, it, it helped me to come alive in my various callings, you know, you know, as a, as a, as a father, what are some ways that, that fathers fail their children? You know, I've failed my children. And uh, what are some ways I can um, uh, be the best father for them possible in my workplace? You know, in workplaces, there's all kinds of ways that sin and idolatry, um, you know, corrupt a person's calling, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then how can I, and this is what you're referring to, and this is like the pinnacle of it, how can I, um, as a person who is full of the spirit of God, bring redirection to what has been misdirected? That was a, that was big for me. Um so I'm wondering, another question, Paige. So when I finally understood the narrative coherence of the Bible, some people have said, well, if you make a narrative out of the Bible and then you tell that narrative 
people will think the Bible itself is not important and they'll just take your telling of the narrative. That hasn't happened to me. I've not <laughs> experienced that. What actually happens, unlike what happens often with systematic theology, is that as I understood the story of scripture, it makes me want to dive in more deeply into scripture. That's exactly it, right. Because it's the story framework that helps you understand all these different riches. Whereas before they just seemed like disconnected treasures and I weren't sure they, how they were treasures. I knew they were supposed to be, you know, <laughs> the second day three, 10 through 17, the Bible's inspired by God. And so it, you know, all of it must be important, but how is it important? And it's the, it's that narrative coherence that helps us a lot of times understand how these different portions, these different sort of disconnected pieces of scripture are important. So Paige, I was wondering, it, uh, do, you, do you have an example in mind of some part of scripture that you just really didn't understand? And now they understand the narrative coherence of the Bible, you do understand it more fully. And same for you, Jason, you get, to, you get, you're on the hot seat again. So. <coughs> You know, I think for me, it really is creation. It's um, understanding the importance of creation to the rest of the story and um, understanding our role in what's wrong with the world. And I think that that's so important. And um, so not just saying that because you wrote a book on creation, (laughs) But I do think that is fundamental to our lives, actually. Yeah, for me, it, I mean, it, it like you guys, it is a it is the creation act. But since we've hit it a bunch of times, I'll, I'll do a different one. But I think those early um, I think the next big one was, you, you know, you have this the the OG Great Commission in Genesis to, you know, cultivate, have a family, take dominion expand this thing and then you see it again in noah you see him when he gets off like one of the first things he you know in in the first creation as it were you've got water and then the spirit of god and then the second recreation if you will noah the flood water again the spirit again and then you've got a man who comes out and he gardens remember he he plants you know a vineyard and and just like adam you know, ate this fruit that he shouldn't have had sin. You got Noah getting hammered. (laughs) He makes some booze out of his, which is fine, but he gets, you know, inebriated. And then in the same way, then you have this bizarre story of being naked, maybe, or some sort of sexual thing going on, whatever that might be. I don't know, but that's the value seen as a story. I don't have to overanalyze the detail and I could go, okay, I see this parallel that happened in Genesis naked, naked, covering, covering. And basically I could go on and on as I know you guys can, but I start to, I start to read the Bible with the entire Bible in mind. And for me, that's blown my, that has really blown my life. Um, I will, oh, go ahead, Bruce. Well, you know, I, you know, I told you, I talked too much. Uh, So for me, I had a hard time understanding Israel. I mean, I knew some basic things. Israel did good things. We should do good things also. Israel did bad things. We should also not do bad things. But I really never understood what was the purpose of Israel. I wasn't even sure. And what the narrative, you know, as I began to understand the Bible's storyline, I began to understand. So God had one purpose the whole time for Israel, and that was to be a light to the nations. Isaiah, that's the beautiful image that Isaiah gave. And it's given in a lot of other ways in the Bible. You know, to Abraham, as you mentioned earlier, Paige, God said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to make you into a great nation that will then bless all the nations. And so that that one thing was true when they were a tribal confederacy with no king. And the beauty of it at that point would be that unlike the other nations that had kings who were all corrupt, Israel didn't even need a king because he had God as their king. Right. Well, Israel wrecked that and messed it up. And so then they just had to have a human king. So God said, all right, fine. You can still be a light in the nations. This is not like the best case scenario, but sure. Have a king. Here's your king. Good luck. And, uh, you know, because Israel's heart was wayward, things didn't work out that well with a human king either. But even at that time, the goal was to be a light to the nations. The king was supposed to be a light to the nations and a light to Israel. The king was supposed to follow God. And then Israel followed the king and the priests as they followed God. Right. Well, that didn't work out. 
And so finally they ended up being in exile and they were stuck in some very difficult situations, kind of situations that Christians across the globe today are stuck in. And the goal still for Daniel or for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it was the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians and, <clears throat> and, you know, for wherever else, you know, exiled people find themselves, the goal is to be alike to the nations. So finally I understood the purpose of Israel. And then I realized, well, that's the same purpose of the church. I finally understood the, the relationship between Israel and the church. It was so hard for me to figure out otherwise. Mm. You know, Israel, you know, was not supposed to touch dead pigskin. You know, so for me, me that meant no football. And that <laughs> they're not supposed to mix milk and meat. I was like, so you mean I can't have a steak and an ice cream later? This is Even not in these dad jokes, Paige. These are total dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the king of them, pal. <laughs> dare you to take me on. You know, so... Now I understand how it keeps me from thinking that America, for example, is the counterpart to Israel. It's definitely not. No. The counterpart to Israel is God's people, and God's people is the church. So Mm -hmm. these are all Mm -hmm. just, if you're out there in radio land or podcast land, you know, the Bible is just this rich treasure chest. And the the best way to unlock the treasure chest, I think, is, is its narrative coherence. I think so, too. And I think uh, what's important for people to realize is uh, if they're looking for answers to life questions, they're in the Bible. You know, the uh, our minister here uh, quotes a scholar that says the Bible provides the most important answers to life, most important questions. And knowing that that is found in the Bible is great, but you also have to have faith that and trust in what you read in the Bible. And I think one way to have that is to understand the connectedness of that story. So Paige, when you, I guess this is the final question for me and just listeners know um, we're talking with Paige Vanosky. Uh, the author of co-author of the 30 minute Bible God's story for everyone. And just want to remind you um, go join the Kirby Lang center email list and, or join our Facebook group. And um, the good folks at IVP are allowing us to give away two copies. Um, yeah. So go, go ahead over and do that. Now we'll announce the uh, winner a week after this airs, but Paige, I'm curious for the people who are listening right now and they just heard Bruce connect a bunch of dots they earlier heard you connect the legit unfold the you know history of redemption. How do you enter? I, I could get all, all sorts of one-liners from Ephesians, but how in the world do you now go and crack open numbers? Do you just take it at the highest level or just in any book of the Bible that which you want to chat about? Do you take it at the highest level and try to extract the main story or do you drill down? And is there something else in there for you? So the question being, how should I even if I if I know the story, you know, and it's easier to be in the New Testament, what is the motivation to be in the Old Testament when it's a bit arduous and boring? Well, it's not arduous and boring, of course, I would say, if you read the 30 minute Bible, because <laughs> you'll understand it more easily because uh, we do connect the dots. But I think uh, what my readers uh, have said is that knowing the overall story um, allows you to go deeper into each individual story so that it provides much more meaning than it would have Mm -hmm. if you don't know uh, what comes before it after it. It's like diving into the middle of any good book. Uh, any chapter is going to be good, but it's going to make a lot more sense if you start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had just a little comment, um, sort of a question at the end. And I just want to say people in, in uh, podcast land, uh, this particular book is not a book I recommend for you to purchase a copy of. I recommend you to purchase a box of 10. And the reason I say that is I, I, I do think the best apologetic for the Christian life, for Christianity. Um, if you can get somebody to buy in and set aside their disbelief uh, for a moment, the best apologetic is for them to understand the Bible storyline, yeah. uh, how God deals with his people. And you're not going to find, I promise you, because I've read 
not everything that's available on a topic, but a, I'm an absolute dump truckload of it. This book is the book that you want to buy that you can put in the hands of anybody who's got a you know high school education or more, whether they're acquainted with Christianity or not. Um, and it reads like a story. So it's fascinating. It's interesting. It's not a collection of just, uh, you know, propositions ordered systematically. It's a story. It's an unfolding story. And even if somebody disbelieves the story, it's a fascinating story. Best story ever told. And more than that, it's the best story that ever could be told. Amen. Amen. So yeah, I just recommend to buy, you know, buy a box of 10. And then you've got <laughs> something in your car, in the trunk of your car or at your house, that you can give to folks, people who are new in their Christianity, people who are been Christians for a while, but don't understand how the Bible fits together. People who are not Christians, this is a good introduction. And uh, that's all I've got to offer. <laughs> that makes my little heart sing. <laughs> I feel like it was mission accomplished then. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, it's been so good. And then just to, just so the listeners can know, um, Bruce and Craig's book is called The Doctrine of Creation, a constructive Kuyperian approach. But um, don't get afraid of that of that language it's there's a lot of value in there a good uh good part two to page's book yeah we're very grateful as we close out last question for you i know that there's a pretty serious a pretty massive reading group that at the time this airs it'll probably have just ended but just curious can you give us an overview on what was just taking place as far as this uh the masses coming together and reading this book together uh the 30 minute bible together yeah oh with the app from the app, from the Dwell app. Yeah. It's very exciting. I'm anxious. Uh, we're about halfway through now uh, with everyone reading it together. And um, what we hope to follow up with is a discussion between all the readers. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see if we can pull that off. But I think that would be fantastic. What we have found and uh, those that have read the book is they all want to talk about it. And so we would like to make that happen on a, a podcast or some other way. But, sure. Yeah, but we will put, um, you know, we'll keep our listeners updated on that. We'll put any links of places to go or to visit um, in the show notes. Again, we've been talking with Paige Vanosky, author of the 30 Minute Bible. And then um, this is the Christianity for the Everyday podcast. Um, a ministry of the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology in Cambridge. Paige and Bruce, thank you both. Really enjoyed the discussion. Happy summer to you. Happy summer to you. And thank you both so much.